On your Wednesday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Raptors complete their training camp roster with 21 men, and they also have 15 guaranteed spots on the roster with the addition of Garrett Temple, but it begs the question, is there such thing as too many vets? Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it, so like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Wednesday, August the 2nd, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can also follow the show on Instagram at Locked On Raptors. And of course, join the Locked On Raptors Discord server. The link to join is in the description of the podcast. If that link has expired, just let me know. Shoot me a DM somewhere and I will get you that link. Come hang out. We've got a great community of like 175 sicko Raptors fans still ruminating on the roster as the summer progresses into August. It's a delight. If you are a sicko like them and want to be among other friendly sickos the discord's the place for you come hang out and join a little community we got a great little group building around the show would love to see you in there uh, you can also support the show by subscribing, following, rating, reviewing, etc. on all your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube, of course. It's always appreciated when you do that. It helps to support the show. It's free to do. So thanks in advance for taking the time to uh, do what you can to make the show more popular and more visible and all those good things. All right. On today's show, we're going to round up a little bit of roster news from the last few days. It's been a few days since the last podcast. We are down to our three-a-week schedule this week. We'll be on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday schedule for this week. Uh, probably a little more spread out going into next week and the weeks after. But uh, we begin our sort of recapping of the weekend. We'll talk about Garrett Temple getting signed to a one-year $3.2 million deal, which I feel like caused as much of an uproar and reaction as any minor signing I've ever seen. We will get into why I don't think it's that big a deal that Garrett Temple is on the team and why vets are good, in fact. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll take a look at the complete camp roster after the signings of Kevin Obener, Kevin Obener and Mohamedou Gay as well as it's now 21 men who will be invited to Raptors camp. It's a full camp roster, and it might be set, barring some sort of trades. We'll get into sort of takeaways on that 21-man group, and we'll close things off with a thing that's been on my mind a lot lately. The Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr. pending UFA of it all going into this season. Something I think the Raptors should try to avoid going into the year, having all three of those guys on expiring contracts. We saw the difficulty that was keeping three pending UFAs this past summer, and you don't want a repeat of that, but I do wonder if there is a bit of a differentiation between the two situations. We'll get into why that is at the end of the show, but let's start off with the Garrett Temple signing, shall we? And look, I, I don't really have very strong opinions. I'm sorry. I, I, I think, you know, there was this big reaction to the Garrett Temple signing. I think there was a lot of concern about what does this mean for Jeff Doughton Jr.? And it could mean nothing. It could mean that Jeff Doughton Jr. still makes the team. As Blake Murphy noted in his sort of reaction to the moves, there is a little bit of wiggle room for the Raptors under the tax right now. Uh, and so they could, in theory 
you know, wave and stretch a guy or, or cut someone who's got a guarantee and eat the money and still stay under the tax. Obviously, you don't want to, you know, hamper your flexibility at all. But if they get to the point where they think, you know what, we've just got to, uh, you know, have Jeff Doughton on the team, no, no doubt, there are ways in which he can make the team. So it's not a lost cause entirely for Jeff Doughton making this squad. Um, but it does make it more difficult, obviously. The pathway is more challenging. And Garrett Temple is, no doubt, a bit of a curious signing. Like, he's not someone I think anybody had on their list of stealth free agent targets. He was not someone whose name was in the hat when we were playing mid-level madness or biannual madness is kind of what it became by the end. Um, you know, he's not someone who has really ever popped off the screen in terms of his overall output. What he is, though, is a sage, wise vet who has a ton of respect around the league. He's been on a million teams. As of right now, he is third in, among active players in terms of number of teammates played with in the NBA. He's going to be a hoop grid star for the rest of time for all the teams he's played for, uh, and sort of stealthily so. Did you know Garrett Temple was a Milwaukee Buck for nine games? I bet you didn't, but now you do. So... It's like, again, it's a curious, interesting signing. It doesn't really affect the overall ceiling and or floor of the actual team. But I do think there is value in cool vets who know what it's like to navigate the NBA and be in the NBA for a long time and make money doing so. Like Garrett Temple has found a way to stick around despite not being like a terribly productive player. Uh, he's found a way to stick around for now 14 seasons in the NBA. He's made himself $42 million. Having that in the room is a nice thing. That is a good thing for a team that is very young. They skew young, for sure. Yes, Pascal Siakam's 29. He's the best player on the team. He's, you know, more of a sort of veteran guy at this point, going into, what, season number eight, which is kind of nuts. Um, you've got Otto Porter Jr. and Thad Young. We'll talk about them in a second. But overall, this is a very young roster. There's not a ton of experience on the roster. And if you're going about this season trying to reestablish culture and reestablish a sort of precedent for how things are done, Having a guy like Garrett Temple on the roster cannot be a bad thing. And I think there's an argument that the sort of off-court impact of a guy like Garrett Temple could be just as valuable and equal to whatever Jeff Doughton Jr. would do on the floor as a player, as, you know, a, a sort of third or fourth guard who's getting sparing rotation minutes. You know, do I think Jeff Doughton has a spot on this team? I think he does, right? I think his defense at the point of attack is a real sort of elite skill that he can use to stick around. But also, he's not someone who's flashed a ton of offensive juice at the NBA level. He feels like one of those sort of tweener guys who, G League, he can go and dominate, but it just doesn't quite translate to the NBA because he's not really being asked in the NBA to be a regular on-ball creator type. And so that's going to sort of hamper his effectiveness a little bit. It's, again, it's a weird signing to bring in Garrett Temple, no doubt, and you add him to this sort of crew of veterans alongside Otto Porter Jr. and Thad Young, and it begs the question, like, is that surplus to requirements when it comes to sage, wise, old vets? And, you know, I, I think there's something to that, but I also think... Like in the in the case of like Otto Porter Jr., for example, he like tangibly helps the team as well. I don't really throw him into this conversation of sage old vets who are over the hill, really, because if he's healthy and on the floor, he's a very good player. He's an excellent three point shooter. He's a guy who can scale up and be a small ball five in a pinch or play at the four, rebound above his height. And he notably does a thing that is going to be very valuable if you're trying to make Scotty Barnes a point guard a thing, which is he shoots catch-and-shoot threes. You're going to have to space around Scotty Barnes as much as possible. 
And Otto Porter Jr. is one of like four guys on the roster you could classify as a knockdown dead-eye three-point shooter. He's a perfect fit next to Scotty Barnes if he's healthy. And I think him getting run is actually a good thing. I think him getting run over some of the younger players is probably a good thing as well because the most important young player, Scotty Barnes, will benefit from playing with a healthy Otto Porter Jr. So I don't mind having him on the team. Thad Young, look... It hasn't worked out. He has not been the sort of final piece or whatever it was he was meant to be when the Raptors traded down 12, 13 spots in the draft to get him. And, you know, I I know there's plenty of misgivings about that trade. If Christian Coloco ends up fine, then I don't think it's that big a deal anyway, but we don't have to talk about that. We've got to relitigate that trade right now. But Thad Young, at the very least, he is someone who has been sort of noted as someone who's widely respected. As You know, Precious Achua, I think, during the back part of that 21-22 season, talked a lot about how Thad Young was a positive force in just sort of the day-to-day in the sort of giving you an example of how to prepare, how to stick in the league, how to make it work as a role player. Thad Young brings that, and I think it's a good thing to have on the roster. You know, again, this is a young team. Having a couple guys like Temple and Thad who have been around, who can kind of be, you know, coaches on the bench, if you will. I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all, especially for a team that's got a very new and young coaching staff, not a ton of experience on that coaching staff right now. Having a couple guys who are in the room, sort of part of the club among the players who can sort of be voices for the coaching staff is a good thing, I think. And again, I'm not worried necessarily about the ramifications for the 15th man on the roster. Guess what? If you're worried about your 15th man on a roster, something's gone horribly wrong. And as we'll get into in a second, there might not be that much use for the 15th man on the roster because the first 12 or 13 guys might actually be kind of a deep group. And so I, you know, Jeff Doughton, if he makes a team, great. If he doesn't, I don't think it's the the end of the world. Um, rooting for him, obviously, he's a very easy guy to root for. He's battled and, and sort of carved out this sort of fringe NBA career and is still trying to make it work and great for him. But if Garrett Temple takes his spot, I don't think that's the end of the world. I don't think that tangibly affects the night-to-night team that's going to be thrown out there. You're just bringing in a bit more of a sort of experienced vet type to replace a younger, not-so-experienced vet type who maybe has a little more upside, but not tangibly that much more upside. So overall, is there too many vets? I don't think there's really such a thing. Having dudes who've been around and know what's going on and know how to play basketball, know how to operate within a team construct who have seen everything is a good thing if you're trying to reshape the culture. So welcome in, Garrett Temple. By the way, I, I asked our, our pal Jake Madison from Locked On Pelicans if he had like a bit of a read on him just to pass along a testimonial on what he's all about. And he said, rundown is he's a good dude, great steady locker room presence, can hit some threes on occasion, sharp dresser, uh, and has and might buy the team suits. That's fun. Buy the team suits. That's great. Uh, we love it when guys buy the team suits. Anyway, thanks to Jake Madison for that quick testimonial on Garrett Temple. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to get into the roster as it stands right now, kind of run through the depth chart, the roster battlers, the two ways, the potential rotation guys, the core rotation guys. We'll get into all of that and offer some takeaways on that 21-man group in just a second. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our friends over at Ibotta who are a place that you can go to get money back on the things that you're going to buy anyway. Are you picking up burgers and hot dogs for a summer barbecue this weekend? You know you're already going to be buying that stuff, so why not get cash back for it with Ibotta? Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make your beating, you can make beating inflation 
no easy no matter what you're purchasing either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back it's that easy the average i bought a user earns 120 dollars per year in cash back that could cover the cost of an entire groceries trip or just get you that little extra something special you've had your eye on and you can go and do that maybe the fancy dinner you've been craving a little thing on the vacation you're taking and maybe you can go and have a little excursion on your next trip because of your i bought a cash back other apps don't give you points that amount to much or sorry they give you points that amount don't amount to much while the body you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers as well when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners five bucks just for trying Ibotta and using the code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store. Use the code LOCKED. All right, we continue on here. Your first listen of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for the everydayers tuning in as well. We're down to three a week this week uh, for the next month and a half or so, but that's all right. We got lots of great stuff coming to you tomorrow on the show. Vivek Jacob will be along Friday. Got a great interview with Andrew Ivamy, who's a wonderful Toronto-based stand-up comedian and a big Raptors fan. We had a really fun chat, played a game. It was great. That's coming up on Friday. Recorded that last night. Uh, looking forward to dropping that for all of you and introducing you all to the wonderful person who is Andrew Ivamy. But we will get to that later this week. Let's get now to the camp roster, shall we? 21 guys battling it out for 15 roster spots. The three two-ways are already locked in. Um, and uh, the, it goes as follows. You've got your core rotation guys, obviously. Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Jakob Pertl, Gary Trent Jr., that figures to be the starting five, I would assume. Then you've got Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench, Precious Achua, Grady Dick, Chris Boucher, Jalen McDaniels. Those guys feel to me... Like the most surefire, gonna get minutes dudes on the team. It's gonna get a little hairy, I think, with McDaniels, Boucher, Achua. Someone might get squeezed there just by virtue of not every team is gonna play 10 guys every night, and there's a lot of overlap in those skill sets. But uh, I, you know, you can't, those are the 10 best players on the roster as it stands right now. You'd probably slot in Otto Porter Jr. into this group if you knew he'd be healthy, but we don't know that just yet. So I'm not banking on Otto Porter Jr., it's just a nice luxury if he's available to play. After those 10 guys, you have your other potential rotation guys who could squeeze in here and there. Um, you've got Otto Porter Jr., Malachi Flynn, and Christian Coloco, who I think all stand a chance of getting some run. Um, you know, Flynn, this is probably his last chance, right? If Darko Ryakovich can't get him to produce at an NBA level and hit shots and kind of operate within an offense that's maybe more tailored to his skills, then it's probably just never going to happen for Malachi Flynn. I kind of already think it's not going to happen for Malachi Flynn, but willing to be proven wrong as he's got one last year to kind of prove it and potentially save his NBA career. Um, that's, uh, I think he's part of that potential rotation group. And I think it's just by virtue of there are no other guards on this roster, especially if Jeff Doughton Jr. is not going to make the team. Um, that leaves them very bare and lacking guard depth, which has been a problem that I've noticed a lot. We'll get into that a little bit more in a sec, but there's a chance there for Malachi Flynn to finally carve himself out some kind of role, whether it's just like 12 backup minutes a night or something like that. He could certainly find himself in the rotation for pockets of the season, if not by the end of the year. Um, then you've got Christian Coloco. Again, I, I think there's a chance we maybe see him get some G League run just because there's a lot of dudes to sort out. And obviously, we know Jakob Pertl is going to eat up 30 minutes a night at center. I think Chris Boucher is probably just by virtue of being the biggest and sort of most centery of the various forwards that we talked about on the team. He's probably going to slide in a little bit and get some center work. I would imagine, I would hope that we'll see some small ball Scotty Barnes at center with some fun lineups with shooting around just because 
that's the place he's been the best so far in his NBA career, and it would be a shame to not have him play there at all this season, even if he is going to be primarily a lead guard type. Um, so they have options at center. You know, Precious Achua has played center. I don't think he is a center, but um, that that said, th- there's only going to be so many minutes as the backup five available, and maybe they choose to groom Coloco a little bit more down in the G League. You get him working with Marquise Noel in some, you know, pretty good pick-and-roll actions. This 905 team actually could be pretty loaded. We'll get into that, but... I think, uh, you know, those are the kind of fringe potential rotation guys. And then I have Thad Young and Garrett Temple kind of in their own little bucket, just like sage vets on the bench who are going to do wisdom and all of that and and impart it to the younger players. They'll probably play at some point here and there. It's a long season. Everybody gets run. Guys get hurt. You know, guys are thrust into action. All of that. I think small ball Thad at the five is an interesting thing because that's been where he's been the most successful in his entire career, um, at least in his late career, as he sort of pivoted to more of this sort of role, role player connector type. Uh, and so maybe we see him slot in as a backup five, therefore making it harder for Coloco to get in. Maybe you're trying to juice up the value for a Thad Young for a deadline trade to some team that could use a playmaking forward or big type. We'll see. But I think Thad Young and Garrett Temple probably on the outside looking into the rotation immediately and are there more for their sort of general veteranness uh, than they are for their actual on-court contributions. So there is your 15-man roster full of guarantees. That brings it to the two ways. Of course, Javon Freeman-Liberty, Ron Harper Jr., Marquise Noel. Would imagine we'll see Ron and Marquise Noel pretty steadily with the 905. Javon Freeman-Liberty, I think there's a chance we could see him maybe punch into the rotation just because he's got that offensive punch. We'll see if it translates to the NBA and not just in Summer League and, and the G League. It's always the most difficult thing is to dominate those levels, but then translate it to success in the NBA, especially as someone who succeeds with the ball in their hands. He's not going to be asked to run a ton of possessions, you would think, if he is playing for the Raptors, but he's got some punch. He's really come around as a shooter the last year or so, and I think we could see him maybe squeeze into that rotation if the guard situation is as dire as I kind of think it might be, and Malachi Flynn's not grasping the the, the horns or whatever. So there's all that. Um, Then we get into the roster battlers who are going to be in tough to make the team. I would imagine Kevin Obener and Muhammadu Gay are not going to make the team. They're on Exhibit 10 deals that usually says, hey, come to camp, you get a little bonus, and then we'll send you down to the 905 and you'll be part of the 905 crew. And with that, you start to piece together this 905 roster. You've got Kevin Obener, you've got Muhammadu Gay. Do they bring in Moses Brown? We'll see. Um, do you bring, you know, they obviously had the success in the Summer League playing with Marquise Noel and all that. You know, maybe they just don't go that route. That's fine. But I liked what I saw from Gay. He was maybe like the most impressive non prospect, like non clear Raptors prospect type at Summer League for the Raptors. I thought he had a couple nice performances. Um, but then you have Ron Harper Jr. You'll have Javon Freeman-Liberty down there. Maybe Jeff Doughton Jr. gets some 905 time if he's on the team. Um, there, there could be a pretty good 905 squad down there. And, you know, maybe not rich with great blue chippers for the Raptors because I would imagine Grady Dick is just going to play in the NBA. Um, I don't, maybe he'll get some 905 time if things are not going so great out of the gates. But I, I would imagine he's going to get a shot to stick in the NBA because his shooting is very valuable and very scarce on this roster. And so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, those, those roster battler guys, Jeff Doughton Jr. is kind of the only one with a chance to really make the team and, and nudge somebody out. But uh, either way, exciting stuff. This is it. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, you're sort of, let's kind of run through some of the takeaways from this group. You know, obviously, there's not enough guard play. I've, I've maintained this. It still feels like the roster is screaming out for a rebalancing trade where a, a couple forwards or one forward goes out for a guard. Um, but do they maybe let it bleed into the regular season, see how it's working, and then after December 15th, when everyone becomes trade eligible again, 
does that maybe sort of have them examine a potential move to balance out the guard situation after they see for a few months, hey, how's this Scotty Barnes at guard thing looking? Do we have enough creation? How's Dennis Schroeder looking? Does one of Javon Freeman Liberty or Malachi Flynn or Jeff Doughton Jr., if he's on the team, pop to make that guard situation seem a little bit less grim? Um, you know, lots of things could happen, and maybe we're at the point now where they just let it bleed into the season. I still wouldn't be surprised if we saw some sort of roster balancing deal just because the roster seems so jammed up in the front court. I don't know how you're getting all of these guys regular minutes. We're already talking about one of Achua, Boucher, or McDaniels getting squeezed out. But those are good players. Those are useful players who can do things for you and make sensible lineups around your best players. So I, I'm uh, I'm really interested to see what, what kind of goes down there. But there's not enough guard play right now. The shooting a little scarce too i think the shooting situation is probably better than it was on last year's roster overall um you know you bring in grady dick that's just like a, a no doubt catch and shoot he's probably going to shoot 37 38 every year of his career he's just that good that natural that fluid as a three-point shooter can he get those looks off in the nba we'll see but the promising signs from summer league were uh, all over the place and i really enjoyed watching him play he feels like he's going to move to the degree you know that he's going to get shots because his movement is such a high level is at such a high level that is um, so you've got Grady Dick, you've got OG, you've got Gary Trent Jr., you've got potentially Otto Porter Jr. as your knockdown guys. I'm pretty bullish on Pascal Siakam having like a bounce back here from three. If he's going to be playing off the ball a little more often, asked to do a little bit less, playing fewer minutes, maybe the burden and the tired legs are not quite there. I could see Pascal kind of having himself a pretty nice shooting season from the corners. He had a good one last year. He was like 40% from the corners last season. I could totally see him really kind of tapping in and being a good off-ball three-point shooter playing off of Scotty Barnes to give him a little bit of space. And if that happens, like, that's a big thing. Like, if you get Pascal Siakam putting up five threes a game, knocking down one and a half of them or whatever it is, that is, that's, that's, that's helpful. That's certainly going to help keep the offense moving and keep it flowing. And make it easier for Scotty Barnes to operate as your point of attack guy. And his teams start to get worried about Pascal Siakam dropping threes on their heads. Maybe that changes the way teams defend Scotty Barnes and makes things even more easy for him. Um, we'll see. These are all big ifs. You have to, you know, you're going against history. And that Pascal's not been a great three-point shooter really since the uh, 2018-19 season. But we'll see. Um, I guess he was pretty good as, uh, as the lead guy in 2019-20 as well, around 36%. That's good too. Uh, as far as other takeaways on this group, you know, again, the, the shooting, we'll see the upside when it comes to Jalen McDaniels, Precious Achua. I think there's something there. Those guys can probably hang a little bit from deep. Um, you know, does Malachi Flynn, he, he was actually a pretty good catch and shoot guy last year, shot 35% from three. That's the thing he's going to have to hang, have to hang his hat on. Does he get into the conversation? There's more shooting upside on this roster, more different shooting rich lineup constructions, I think, than they had last year. So that's good. But we'll see because, again, how important, how valuable is your shooting if you don't have someone to create initial advantages? And I'm still dubious of the lack of guard play and point of attack creation on this team. But we'll see how it plays out. Um, I will say the roster feels deeper as well than last year and more equipped to withstand injury, at least in the front court. You know, if Dennis Schroeder goes down, they might be screwed. But uh, or Gary Trent Jr. goes down, they're going to be really, really in tough with guards. But the front court feels deep. It feels like they're going to actually be able to run 10, 11 players and feel good about who they're playing on a given night. There's not going to be these sort of pockets of just really, really wretched basketball um, with, with, you know, lineups that are featuring three, four guys who probably shouldn't be in the NBA. Um, you know, that that's, that's a good thing. I think that's encouraging. I, I think, you know, there's going to be an opportunity to kind of balance up the minutes toll. Pascal Siakam plays 34 minutes instead of 39 or 38. 
that would be great if you could limit that burden. And because of the forward depth on the team, I think that's actually attainable. And, uh, you know, you're going to have him and Scotty, I would imagine, stagger quite a bit. And one of them always kind of be on the floor and creating and all of that. If you can make it so Pascal's not having to expend all this energy. And I think the defense being probably less aggressive as well will help in this as well. Um, but yeah, th- this is this is a, a roster that definitely feels deeper than last year, even if I don't think the top-end quality of it is there. The guard play is a very big absence. Um, again, still feels like a roster that just needs a trade, needs a balancing trade, but we'll see if that happens before the season or not. I'm guessing at this point that Pascal Siakam is not getting traded. It just doesn't seem like there's that many notable landing spots. His trade value is diminished because he's an expiring contract. And that leaves the Raptors with this sort of conundrum once again of potentially, if they keep the roster as is going into the year, with three potential pending UFAs in OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., and, and Pascal Siakam. You know, obviously Thad Young counts here too, Malachi Flynn counts here too, but three notable sort of franchise core guys as pending UFAs. We saw how badly that went this past summer. However, I do think there's maybe more of an argument that it's not a disaster this time around if they go in with three pending UFAs. That might sound crazy. It might be crazy, but we'll get into my reasoning for that in just one second. Before we do that, however, just heads up. Go make sure you're checking out Locked on Blue Jays each and every day. The Jays had a pretty mm, quiet, boring deadline. They got a couple of guys who are fine from the Cardinals. Whatever, I'm not feeling great about it, but uh, our pal Craig Ballard over there on Lockdown Blue Jays is breaking it all down and telling you what you should feel, because I'm just an emotional, irrational Blue Jays fan, right? Let all my sports fan rage out on the one team, um, but you can go and check out Craig, who's got reasoned, thoughtful takes on what happened with the Jays at the deadline. Go check it out wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. All right, let's round it out here with uh, talk about the pending UFA situation, because if this is the roster which I think it is at this point. Like, we'll see. Trades are hard to happen. I would bet on this being the opening day roster at this point. They filled it up. They're not leaving much room for roster flexibility or multi-team, multiplayer returns and trades. You know, if they traded Siakam for three players right now, where do those three players go? Who's not on the team? Like, it kind of feels... Like, we've got the complete picture now with the signing of Garrett Temple and the finishing off of the camp invite guys with Gay and Obener. And so, I uh, yeah, I kind of just think this is going to be the roster. Do I agree with this being the roster going into the season? Not necessarily. Again, I've made my concerns about the guard play very well known at this point, but if this is going to be the way it is, there are reasons to be intrigued, excited, etc., etc. But it does create the, the whole question again about the UFA situation. The Raptors just did the thing where they had three pending UFAs going into the summer, thinking, hey, we can keep all these guys. They very clearly wanted to keep all three of those guys. It did not work out. Gary Trent Jr. opts in. He might have been the one they maybe wanted to keep the least. Maybe they would have, you know, let him walk. Had the Fred thing gone, you know, had they been offered offered a little bit more for Fred and all that. And it's just they weren't going to match the Rockets' money for Fred. But maybe there was an in between ground where they could have still convinced Fred to stay without going up to forty three million dollars a year. Who the hell knows? But they are setting themselves up once again to go into the summer with three very important pending UFAs. And that's not ideal, right? Like, it's just, it's a high degree of difficulty. Even if you feel like you have the control, even if I think justifiably you think you have the track record of keeping your own guys, which the Raptors do under Masai Ujiri, even going back 
you know, to Fred Van Vliet's previous two contracts, Kyle Lowry multiple times, DeMar DeRozan multiple times. Like, they've kept their players, taken care of their guys, and it's not been that big of a concern to keep them. The ones who have walked, they, outside of Fred, I think they were fine with walking and had made their peace with them walking. Or it was a Kawhi-Danny Green situation where they're kind of, the, you know, the choice was not really theirs to make anyway. Either way... It's just a challenging thing to do, even if you feel like you have control, to have three pending UFAs, because you can't always guarantee you're going to have control. You can't, uh, you know, account for a team like the Rockets getting crazy and offering $43 million for a guy. You know, is there a team that's going to have the cap space next summer that is going to be able to do that type of thing? I, I haven't looked at the cap space projections just yet, but I imagine no, and so maybe you feel better about keeping your own guys, but this is a, a thing here, right? Like, the, the reason the Raptors offseason this year feels so disappointing is because they set themselves up with this high degree of difficulty needle to thread, and they didn't thread it. If you're a professional, if you're a figure skater at the Olympics and you put a quadruple axle into your program, that's well and good. Wow, look at that high degree of difficulty. If you land it, amazing. If you don't, you're a failure who doesn't win the gold medal. And... That's kind of what I think happened with the Raptors. That's like the closest analogy I can find to what happened with the Raptors this past offseason. And do you want to set yourself up for that again? I do think, however, it's a bit of a different situation. The Pascal Siakam of it all is absolutely different because they seemingly have the inside track on keeping Pascal one way or another. First off, I think they should be just offering the extension this summer. I think they can salvage this offseason by a pretty substantial amount just by getting Pascal locked in on an extension this summer. All the reporting is suggesting that we have not really seen those conversations happen between the Raptors and Pascal right now. I think those conversations should happen. Whether Siakam accepts it is a whole other thing because he may want to test his luck and try to make All-NBA and make himself eligible for the Supermax. If he does that and he earns the Supermax, guess what? The Raptors are keeping Pascal Siakam if they want to because they're the only team that can offer him the Supermax. And as much as the Supermax is a big, enormous contract, I still would be fine offering that to Pascal Siakam because he's excellent. He's really good. And I think he's going to age just fine through his next contract. Will he make All-NBA? I have my doubts, even with the 65 game thing, I feel like there's this assumption that, oh, well, Pascal's going to play 65 games, obviously, so he's obviously going to make All-NBA because no one else is going to play 65. Well, guess what? Like, all these other guys are going to be incentivized to get to that 65 game margin. Do we see guys load managed a little bit less? Probably. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't imagine that, like, just because they have this thing in there that all the typical usual suspects for All-NBA are just suddenly not going to try to make All-NBA. There are financial benefits to making All-NBA, and teams will adjust the rest and load management accordingly. So I still think it's going to be a challenge for Pascal to make it. That's where he operates as a player. He's, like, right on the fringes of the top 15 in the NBA, and some years he's going to slide in there, some years he's not, but he's still excellent. He's still an All-NBA level player. And I think you're totally fine paying him the Supermax if that's what he earns this year. If he comes out and has an incredible season, good enough to make All-NBA and make himself Supermax, Supermax eligible, you should be perfectly fine locking up the three-time All-NBA player who just had an All-NBA season to Supermax deal. As much as the burdens of the second apron and stuff will come in down the line, the cap is going up and I don't care get the good player on the team and figure it out from there if you trade him down the line great if it works out and pascal and scotty are your great duo going forward awesome um all that said i i think you know even if he doesn't make all nba and you're able to sign him next summer to a regular max contract 
I think they probably stand the best chance of doing that. Free agency, as we know, it is kind of dead. There are no good teams out there ever that have cap space to go and weaponize. Maybe the Sixers, if this James Harden thing breaks down a certain way, maybe they're in the conversation to throw a big, 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 big piece of money at Pascal. Maybe they want to do that. Does Pascal want to go play for Nick Nurse again? I don't know. I don't know if that was the best relationship over the last couple of years. Um, and also, like, does the fit with Joel Embiid make sense, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to get into the weeds just yet. Ultimately, I think it's more likely the Raptors can keep Pascal if he makes free agency than not. And so is it that bad a thing to go into the year with him as an expiring? It's not ideal, but I don't think it's the end of the world in Pascal's case. OG is the interesting one, right? Like, you know, we've talked about Gary and the extension that was reported that to be coming as soon as he opted into his deal. We've not yet seen that. Will we see it? I don't really know. It would make sense to extend him, I think. If you can get him around the money he's making right now, I think that's a perfectly fine value contract, and I, I would hope you can do that. And he's probably incentivized, too. Like, he saw the landscape. He opted in because he didn't see a ton of money for him out there. I don't see the... The, the cap picture around the league getting more favorable to Gary Trent Jr.'s market within the next year. And so if he can lock in some money with the Raptors, that's his gonna be that's gonna be his best way to get paid. I would bet he's probably the most likely guy to get extended this summer of, of this group. The OG situation is the one that hangs over it all, right? You just can't lose OG for nothing. And his level of unease or displeasure with his role, again, lots of sort of, it's like very murky as to what exactly OG wants and how he wants to get it. And I frankly think on this year's team, he's going to have a big role just kind of by necessity. He's going to have to take eight, nine threes a game. He's going to have to be very involved in the offensive structure of this team. There's no doubt about it. Just he's one of their best play finishers and he's one of their best three-point shooters. Is he a great play creator? I don't think so, but he's going to get opportunities to run with it and see what he can do to see if he can make that McCall Bridges type leap. I don't think it's particularly likely. McCall Bridges has always been more of an on-ball scoring guy than OG has, a little bit more of a handle, etc., etc. But with OG, that's the big one. Going into the year with him as a pending UFA is scary because he could walk for nothing at the end of the year, and that would be a disaster. You cannot lose OG and an OB for nothing. Again, though, Keep in mind, free agency is kind of dead as we thought we knew it. There's not a lot of teams with cap space, although boy, oh boy, would he be an excellent fit next to Joel Embiid if, in fact, the Sixers have the cap space and Embiid hasn't asked for a trade in the next year. Um, That's a thing to monitor as well. And so you're going to have to gauge the market. You're going to have to see where the potential threats could come from. the, The Raptors front office would have a much better handle of that than I would right now. And so... If they go into the season with OG as a free agent, I mean, again, it's it's asking for a lot of risk. Is he, like, is the comfort you have with Pascal wanting to be there and the potential Gary extension make the OG thing a little less concerning? Maybe. Does the fact that you could trade OG at the deadline, probably still for a haul for a contender that's in the mix looking for that last piece to get their bird rights, to get his bird rights as well, which are incredibly valuable these days? You know, you could see that. Like, I, I think lots of things are on the table with OG here. It just would be nice if they could offer him like a full extension and not just like the $26 million starting salary they can currently offer him legally. Um, That's a bummer. I think it's like October they can offer it to him, but we'll see. They should put that on the table at least and say, hey, OG, we want you. This is the most money we can give you. Please take it. And he will probably say, no, thanks. I want that Jeremy Grant money. And he'd be totally justified in saying that and probably should get more than Jeremy Grant because he would have dealt what he does on the defensive end. But uh, yeah, that, that's just kind of the lay of the land with the UFA situation. I'm not so concerned about the Pascal of it all. If he is a UFA, I still think there's a very good chance they keep him. Um, and I just don't think you're getting enough for him to trade him right now. You know, barring an extension, keeping him is probably the move. 
Gary, give him the extension. Perfectly fine by me. If you can get him for four years, 80 million or whatever, that's that's going to age just fine in this cap environment. And, you know, that would help, I think, ease a lot of minds as well. But the OG thing is uh, is a concern for sure. And can you risk losing that dude for nothing? It would be cataclysmic to lose a guy that defensively talented, that unique, that important to your team construct for nothing after having all the opportunities to trade him that they have. Um, it would be a, ma- a massive, massive failure and probably grounds for firing. Uh, frankly, it would be really, really, really bad if that's what goes down with OG. I would assume they also know that would be very bad and we'll have contingency plans in place to make sure it doesn't happen. But you never know. When you get to free agency, things are out of your control. We'll see. But with that... We'll leave the show. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in today. We'll be back again tomorrow. But Jacob will be along. We might have some fun. Maybe we'll play a What's More Likely or something like that. Get a little uh, into the parlor game side of things as we continue the offseason. With that, we will uh, round out the show. We will ask you to subscribe, follow, rate, and review for free on your favorite podcast apps. And we'll ask you to go and join the Lockdown Raptors Discord server. The link is in the description. Please come hang out. We'd love to see you in there. And uh, we will talk to you again on Thursday for another episode of Lockdown Raptors. Thanks for hanging, everybody. Bye-bye.